Hey, my name is Jason. I'm the producer of Relationship Radio. I wanted to let you know that we have a brand new website solely dedicated to working on your pies. Introducing itstartswithattraction.com. You can listen to every episode, learn about the pies, and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Go to itstartswithattraction.com. It starts with attraction, one word. It starts with attraction.com to get signed up today. We hear it quite often. My spouse did this thing. It may be that the spouse had an affair. Maybe they gambled away a lot of money. It may be they had some kind of addiction problem. My spouse did this thing. I want to put the marriage back together, but I can't get my spouse to do it because he or she feels that I never could really forgive them for what they've done. They seem to live in a state of shame, and that shame keeps them from trying to do the things it would take to put the marriage back together. Is there any hope? And the answer to that is yes. And we'll be talking about that today on Relationship Radio. This is Relationship Radio, an extension of Marriage Helper International, hosted by renowned marriage and relationship expert, Dr. Joe Beam, and CEO of Marriage Helper, Kimberly Beam Holmes. We answer your questions directly with research-based principles that you can implement immediately. Regardless of the situation, what we teach will not only make your relationships better, but will also help you to become the best version of yourself along the way. Turn up the volume and prepare to take notes as we begin this week's episode of Relationship Radio. Actually, it's a good thing that people can feel guilt. Uh, I'm Dr. Joe Bean with Image International. I'm with Kimberly Holmes, our CEO, and this is Relationship Radio, where we're talking about shame today. And you say, well, then why did you start off talking about guilt? Because you see, if you feel guilt, it basically is telling you something's wrong, fix it. People who feel no guilt are people we wind up calling psychopaths or sociopaths. And they're people that you can't trust because they're going to do whatever they want to do and never feel one shred of feeling bad about it whatsoever. So people that don't feel guilt or can't feel guilt, they're abnormal in that sense. And and you have to be very afraid of them. But guilt, while it's good in the sense it says something's wrong, fix it, can be bad if you don't fix it. In other words, if you remain in the guilt, if it's long lasting guilt. So Kimberly, when people live like that, where they don't let the guilt prompt them to do what they need to do to make it right, they start living in a sense of shame. And Mm -hmm. in psychology, shame is considered to be not a good thing. No. Why is that? Because it begins to really take a toll on your psyche, your sense of self-worth, your self-confidence, your self-esteem. All three of those are different things. It it really leads you to start believing more negative things about yourself, which not only will affect the things I mentioned, but it can even start affecting you physiologically. So I'm no good. I'm no, no one likes me. I'm not lovable. I mean, this is what it evolves to mm-hmm. when you stay stuck in that guilt and it turns into shame. It ultimately, ultimately the difference is I love this explanation of it. Guilt is I did a bad thing. Shame is I am a bad thing. Hmm. And so it's, really taking on those labels and seeing yourself only through those lenses. And so of course that has those negative health benefits. I mean, increase in depression, anxiety, less immune function, all of those things 
can happen there as well. So yes, shame is not a good thing. There's all and that and right now in psychology, there's a lot of work. I mean, Brene Brown has done a great research into shame and vulnerability and how vulnerability can actually be something that helps people reverse that shame or come, help them come out of that shame by sharing the things that they feel so shameful about and finding acceptance on the other side can help people to move out of a constant shame cycle. So people who feel shame sometimes won't be very transparent about what they feel the shame about, or at least to the degree they feel the shame. In other words, I'm so bad mm-hmm. that if you knew everything, then you would also think I'm that bad. So I can't even tell you that. But because I am so bad, there's no use even thinking we can put things back together. Because if you really knew everything I did, if you really knew who I am, you could never forgive me. Right? And then sometimes they actually self-punish. Like, I either deserve you punishing me, or I'll punish myself because I deserve that. Mm -hmm. And so they have this negative spiral that goes down and down and down and down, right? Mm. Yes, it can, I mean, it can manifest in different ways. So it could be that person who's, I'm so bad, I'm so terrible, I don't deserve this. But it can also be the person who's so filled with pride because they don't want to feel, they don't want, they want to try and cover up the shame. They want to try and cover up the guilt. And so they're actually, they would present as someone who's very confident, very sure of themselves. Um, but in reality, they're just protecting themselves from themselves feeling the shame or letting anyone else see that they might be having it. Okay. And this is a difficult thing when it comes to relationships. Yes. I remember I was on a live call-in program here in Nashville a few years ago with Woody and Jim in the morning, number one radio program in the morning here in Nashville, at least way then, may still be today. And a lady called in and said that that uh, her fiancé was wanting to go ahead and set a wedding date, and she just couldn't do it because he treated her too well. And mm-hmm. so I started asking her questions, and it really finally boiled down to the fact that she felt that she deserved to be punished, mm. that I'm a bad person, I'm no good. And and so I was telling her, this is not a problem with the boyfriend. This is a problem inside of you. He's not mm-hmm. treating you too good. Mm-hmm. You don't think you deserve it. Mm-hmm. So is there hope for people with shame? Absolutely. There's how do they always deal? Hope. Always hope. Always well, how do they deal with it? Well, one of those things that I already shared, I mean, first of all, it's being willing to let yourself become vulnerable with even yourself. So allowing yourself to realize and and do some self-reflection, why do I feel this shame? Mm-hmm. And so the uh, some of the questions and things from this this podcast are gonna have to do it's it's tying the shame to probably something someone did in a marriage, like they had an affair or mm-hmm. they gambled all the money away or whatever. Right. And so the shame has come from that. But I would argue that probably those feelings of shame, even for the people who did something recently, are gonna be more tied to something that happened earlier in their life. Because it's a it's such a deep feeling that it's typically not just going to present the first time a couple of years ago. Like it's typically going to tie itself to a, to a, to multiple things that have happened over your lifetime that you keep going back to and thinking I'm not good because I did that. So could that range anywhere between these? And you tell me you're the psychologist. Uh, not yet. Not till I have my PhD. <laughs> <laughs> You'll get that PhD before you know it. And, and you have a master's degree in psychology, so I yes. think we can still call you a psychologist. We've debated this many times. Okay. So it can range anywhere from I was brought up to expect 
uh, and expected to be perfect. And because I'm not mm-hmm. meeting perfection, mm-hmm. that means I'm not lovely or lovable and therefore shame all the way to the other realm where you weren't brought up to uh, with an expectation of perfection. You were brought up with an expectation of failure. Like you're no good. You're rotten. Mm-hmm. You can never be anything. I'm, I'm surprised that you even live through birth. You're so idiotic or something like that. Right. So it can be either one of those two extremes. Mm-hmm. So it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. I'm no good. Mm-hmm. Or the other, like I can't be as good as I'm supposed to be. Therefore, I'm no good. Yep. And a lot of things in between, right? A lot of things in between. Right. And so my my hypothesis for this podcast is going to be, so let's take the example of someone's had an affair and they can't get over it. I My hypothesis is, yes, they feel guilty about that, but there is something else or many other things that that narrative has been perpetuated over their life even before that. Well, is that going to be hopeless then? Uh, you no. already said there's hope, but <laughs> but we're talking about this. I'm talking about here. We're going to read, uh, have a couple of questions read for us here that have been sent in, uh, both by wives this time. Mm-hmm. And, and they're dealing with spouses who are living in shame. And they're asking, what do I do? How do I help that? Mm. So you think we have some advice we can share on that? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's go to the first question there. Okay. One of our staff members will read this for us. She'll introduce herself and then read this question from this person. And let's see if we can answer some of these questions about being married to somebody that's not wanting to work on the marriage because they feel shame. Hey, guys. My name's Amanda, and I work with Marriage Helper as an admin for their Facebook groups. Dr. Beam and Kimberly have asked me to read a question that was submitted by one of our listeners for today's episode. We have a listener that had the following question. How do I help my unfaithful spouse who seems to be stuck in shame? My unfaithful spouse has no desire to work on the marriage. It's been seven months since I found out about the affair. Does he have to be the one who recognizes this and wants to make a change? So ultimately, he does have to recognize that he is feeling shame and do something to make a difference. But that doesn't mean that his wife can't also do things to help him see that he is a good and lovable person in the meantime. So her main question here is really, what can I do? Mm-hmm. What can I do at this point? Mm-hmm. We we already know that if he already has a negative self-view, mm-hmm that you need to be really careful about how you respond back to him. So anything you might say of, I can't believe you did this. How could you hurt me so much? Can't you, you know, do you see what this has done to the kids? Why won't you come back home now? Why? Because she says he still has no desire to work on the marriage. So if you continue to pile on shame on top of what he's already feeling, Mm -hmm. you're not the safe place. He's just going to disconnect further because, and I mentioned this at the, at the intro and what we were first talking about, What helps people come out of shame is feeling accepted in spite of what they have done or in spite of even the false beliefs they have about Mm themselves. And so that is what a wife or any either a wife or a husband. But in this case, that's what this wife can do. Her real focus needs to be how can I help him see that I still love and accept him and believe he is worthy and valuable no matter what he has done. Yeah. But typically that's not going to be accomplished by telling him that he's worthy and valuable. Sure. Because of the fact that his self image already is negative. And when you say things like that, he's going to blow it off. Like you don't really mean that you don't or, or you don't know who I really am. And so if you're going to be able to accomplish that, it's going to be based on the fact that first of all, you are extremely honest 
about what you feel about what he did. Now, I know that sounds contradictory, but, but I've seen it so many times. If, if people kind of blow it off, like, I'm so sorry I did this. I know I hurt you. It's okay. I'm over it. That, that's not enough. It's like, no, 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 you're not paying attention to me. I, I need you to know how badly I feel about what I have done. And if you just instantly forgive me and move on, then it's like I can't somehow process through this. So if I'm telling you I'm bad, I don't want you to tell me I'm good. I want you to try to understand why I think I'm bad and then help me come to realize that I'm good. Am I, am I making that confusing? Does that make sense? No, it makes sense to me. It, you're empathizing with them in what they're saying. You're not trying to fix what they're saying. So, uh, so an example is if, if Rob was telling me, well, I'm, I feel I'm bad for all of these reasons. If I keep shutting him down as, as he's telling me and saying, no, you're wrong, you're good. Then he's not able to self reveal, but he's also not able to release that. Like he needs to say it all to someone, get it out And it's probably not going to happen all at one time, especially depending on how I would respond. But that is what's going to help him. It's it's cathartic. It's going to help him get it all out. And then I would be able to stay to sit there and not say to him, it's okay," but say to him, yes, I know you did those things. And yes, it did hurt. I love you anyway. There you go. So you acknowledge your Mm -hmm. pain. Right. You acknowledge how, how they affected you because otherwise they don't think you understand. You know, I, so be honest about what you feel, but I love you anyway. And then, if, uh, like you said, how long do you think something like this might take? It's not going to all happen in one conversation. No. Is it going to be years, months, weeks? Yeah, they could be any of those. <laughs> it could be. That's a lot of hope for them out there. Oh, good <laughs> grief, <depends>. years. <laughs> well, for the full amount of it, it could be years. I mean, right. someone who's been stuck in shame for years and or decades of their life, yeah, like it's going to take years for them to really fully come to the other but side. But you can of start that. having results relatively quickly. Sure. Months. I would say, pro- I mean, maybe some short bleaks of uh or glimpses of light in weeks yes but really it's going to be more of months you're talking of having a consistent conversation and i don't mean every day you're talking about this but you're you're consistently um allowing for these things to happen allowing for the conversation to happen and consistently maybe reaffirming them because that person the person who's feeling the shame is probably going to be too much to talk about it all at one time Mm-hmm. Or multiple days in a row. So think about think about it like therapy. That's why therapy is typically once a week, every one to two weeks, and it happens for typically, um, especially for things like this, three to six months. So take that as just a. I mean, the wife isn't a therapist, but really, what the therapist does is the same thing: listens to the person, hears them out, doesn't stop them right. when they're self revealing all these hard things doesn't blow off the doesn't bad blow part of off it. the bad sits with them in it and still reaffirms on the back end the good about them it's the same thing that carl rogers taught in his so he was the father of really this kind of talk therapy and his whole premise of it was there are two people in this therapist client relationship one of them is the person who needs fixing or needs help And the other person is the one who is the constant, empathetic, listening ear that at the end of it reaffirms the goodness of that person. 
And I, when I, when I was reading about this, I thought, isn't that what a good relationship should be? Mm-hmm. There's always going to be one in the two of you that needs help. Mm-hmm. And it's the role of the other person to be constant, to be empathetic, the listening ear. And then at the end of it, reaffirm the goodness of you. Okay. So what I'm hearing you say is let them talk about their pain. Let them tell you how bad they feel about themselves. Listen to all that stuff. You can even tell them about your pain, mm-hmm. but at the same time, you're showing a tremendous amount of acceptance, not in the sense of it doesn't matter because they're not going to listen to that, but in the sense of, yes, it does matter, but I love you anyway. Mm-hmm. I accept you and we can get past this. Mm-hmm. Now in her particular situation, she's saying, but he doesn't want to talk at all. Any mm-hmm. suggestion for that? The episode before this was about smart contact. That's exactly what I was thinking. If you go find the, uh, the episode that it's about smart contact, that we have done together. We'll give you some ideas there about what you can do to actually get those conversations started. But here patience is going to be the key. Now, Kimberly, let me just mention this because it's always possible that one person may be claiming shame when actually they're just manipulating. Mm. But if indeed he really is living in shame, mm-hmm. in other words, that's the reason he really doesn't want to work on the marriage. Then we recommend strongly the smart contact episode we did. Please listen to that. Pay attention. So Kimberly, let's go to our next question here from another wife. She doesn't specifically mention shame, but the thing that she's describing sounds like shame. So this is read by one of our staff members. Hey, you guys, my name is Christy, and I work on the sales team here at Marriage Helper. My role here is to guide people to the best resources to help them improve their marriages. Dr. Beam and Kimberly Holmes have asked me to read a question that was submitted by one of our listeners for today's episode. This person asks, what do you do if he is choosing not to have any contact with myself or our children? He doesn't even want to have anything to do with his parents. He says he just wants to be alone. It was his choice that we have been separated for two years. He had another woman, but I am not sure if he's still seeing her. How do I move forward? In questions like this, we always have to be sure for our listeners to hear, but also to help our listeners understand this about the way they think, is that we don't know his motives here. That's correct. And so we are saying, you know what, from the limited information that we have This sounds like it could be shame, but we also have to enter it into it. It could be many other reasons that he's doing this. But if it is shame, then here are some ways to proceed. So his behaviors, Joe, when you look at this, you're you and I are thinking it sounds like maybe an attachment issue. Yeah, an attachment style or attachment theory, if you will. Uh, One of the things we talk about in our intensive three day workshop for marriages in trouble We do a whole section on attachment styles, indicating that there are four different ones of those. We actually test you to help you know which quadrant you're in, those kinds of things. Without getting into more detail here, because we spend a lot of time in the workshop talking about that, let's just say that there's one called dismissing avoidant. And dismissing avoidant people are the people that say, I want nothing to do with you. Typically, they don't want anything to do with anybody, which is basically what she describes here, Mm -hmm. that he doesn't want to contact with me, not with the children, not with his parents, not anybody says he just wants to be alone. Now, people who go into that dismissing avoided quadrant typically are there either because they feel that other people are going to hurt them. And so they preempt it because I know you're going to hurt me at some point. I'm going to cut off all contact. Therefore, you cannot hurt me. I don't want you around. I don't need you around. I can take care of myself. And typically, that's the only part of that that's studied. 
But we've come to realize there's another act, uh, another part of that, I should say. We have come to realize there's another part of that. Sometimes people go into dismissing of audit. I don't want to be around you. I don't want to have anything to do with people. Not necessarily because they think that you're going to hurt them, but they're afraid they're going to hurt you. Now, I, this is not studied a whole lot, so I don't have a whole lot to sell about this other than through our experience. So, Kimberly, sometimes people can be like, if indeed it's shame, for example, it can be like, I'm so bad, based on all the things we've talked about earlier, that I know I will eventually hurt whoever is important or close to me, whether that's my spouse, my children, my parents, anyone. I don't even want best friends because I think I'm that bad. So the principles we've talked about earlier, how would they apply to this person? So for her specifically, it's the same thing we actually said to the last person, which is if you're not having contact now, go back and listen to that smart contact episode. But from that point, from there forward, I mean, even when using smart contact, keeping in mind, if this is a person who may feel this way about himself, it can really help you to stay calm and Mm -hmm. not do those push behaviors because it gives you empathy for how they're feeling and how they're seeing themselves. Mm -hmm. And that is going to help you actually do smart contact better. And then as he opens up, remember the same things we talked about last time, listen, don't try and justify, don't try and add on any guilt, um, but don't try and dismiss the guilt or don't try and dismiss the hurt that maybe he did. But if, because if you are adding on the guilt, Mm -hmm. those kinds of things, he becomes that much more convinced. Right. That I'm no good. I shouldn't be around people. People are going to hurt me. In other words, don't play into that mindset. Therefore, be very careful not to hurt him. No matter how mad you get, Mm -hmm. no matter how hurt you get, be careful not to hurt him because it's actually just going to reinforce that belief he has Mm -hmm. that everybody's going to hurt me, those kinds of things. At the same time, if you do have the opportunity to interact with him, and we hope that you get that chance based on things we talked about in a previous episode. If you get a chance to interact with him, don't expect him to immediately respond to positive things that you say, because he's already set that negative mindset mm-hmm. and it's going to take consistency and patience on your part. If you want to pursue this mm-hmm. now, obviously she could say, I'll just divorce him and move on. But it mm-hmm. sounds to me as if she still loves this guy and would love to rescue him. Mm-hmm. If that's the case, then if you can get any conversation started by using the smart contact, again, go back to the previous episode, then, then be positive, but not overly. So don't sound false. Mm-hmm. <laughs> don't make it sound like you're flattering him because he'll work against that. So don't hurt him. Don't flatter him either. Be honest, open and transparent yourself and extremely patient. Now, if anything works, that will not, not the fawning, you're wonderful, not the, uh, attacking, you're terrible, but in between there somehow. Kimberly, that sounds like a pretty tough thing to do, but you are convinced people can do it. I believe people can do it, yes. Okay. Isn't it more likely that a person like this lady would just finally say, that's it, it's too tough? I mean, she very well may, yes. When he's choosing not to have contact, when it's been you've been separated for two years, it can be easy to it can seem like the easier choice in that moment is give up, move on. We will never make that choice for someone. Never. But we also support the people to make that choice for, for themselves. However, what we tell people is be sure that you are ready to give up and move on before you give up and move on because you never know when you might have just been 
this far away. Yeah, just an inch away from making it all work. So, Kimberly, what are our key takeaways today? Remember that guilt is good in the short term because similar to putting your hand on a stove and getting burned, it allows you to realize I'm doing something that I shouldn't be. I need to do something different. That's what guilt serves. So in the short term, it's good, but long-term guilt can lead to shame and negative thoughts of yourself, negative expectations of yourself. And so the best way to combat that with, especially with a spouse who's feeling that shame is to lean in and be that listening ear, be the constant source of empathy to listen to them and then really emphasize the goodness of that person on the other side. And there's many ways in this episode we talked about how to do that. And then finally, remember you can't logic shame out of a person. You must love it out of them patiently. Mm -hmm. And so be sure to go back and check the previous episode. But let me tell you about the next episode. Actually, Kimberly, sometimes relatives, moms, dads, brothers, sisters, uh, even cousins, sometimes relatives can be very destructive to your marriage. Mm. Now, we see that occasionally, so let's talk about that in the next episode. But Kimberly, I will see you talking about how relatives can affect a marriage in the next episode of Relationship Radio. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Relationship Radio. Please refer to the notes in the description to learn more about any resources mentioned in this episode. Please visit our website at marriagehelper.com for more information about our online courses, marriage workshops, and coaching. We exist to help save marriages and strengthen families. We look forward to interacting with you on the next episode of Relationship Radio.